This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great to have you here today. I want to say hi to our online audience. Uh, I just, I have to read a funny text I already got today. You know how autofill on, on your iPhone is actually pretty funny? Um, so somebody with, who was feeling a little under the weather wanted to tell me that they're streaming the service today, but this is what they said. Okay, I will be dreaming you. So, so somebody's dreaming me today. All good, all good, all good. I know I'm not much to look at, but... Uh, yeah, so great to have you folks. Great to have our online audience. And I want to start today's service, which is on a series called Behind Enemy Lines. Stage is going to read something for us from, from this, from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So those, those lines, folks, we started looking at that last week. And the fact is, those lines, those little, those, that little section in Matthew 5 can be incredibly transformative for our lives. And that's where we're going to go today. You know, I'm going to talk about that transformation and then hopefully get us to see that there's a huge flip involved. And it's so subtle that you can kind of miss it as we drive by at 65 miles per hour. And then when we slow down, it's like, Wow. What an entirely different way to see the world. So when we're looking at that flip, the first place we have to start from is where we start from. I love this quote from Thomas Merton that speaks to it. We struggle with continual uninterrupted resentment. How many of us do that? Continual uninterrupted resentment. So I'm in the habit of letting every resentment find every possible outlet. I think we do that. And that clearly can be a problem. And it's one that this particular passage can start to address. And then in our own way, we can use to start to change the world. So just to get a sense of what this is, I'm going to have you answer this question. I'm not going to be reading the answers to the audience because this is one that is is so private and you're welcome to text it in to me. But don't worry, I won't read it. And that's this question here. Who are you busy resenting this morning? All right. So what I want you to do is you can share that with a neighbor, uh, as long as it's not the person you're currently resenting. Um, and, and for the rest of you, you know, like, yeah, this is just this morning. This is my resentment list this morning. I know one of our parishioners who's a volunteer today, if she was still working on her 40 minutes into this question. So, uh, so please feel free to share that. Who are you busy resenting this morning? Please share. Uh, you know, resentment is, it's, it's a big one. And, and how do we actually like start to wrestle with this? Like if resentment, we spend so much time and energy on it. And how do we start to actually combat it? And, and it's, it's big. Like, 
This is a whole other sermon. I'm just throwing it out there. It's something to, to think about that you're probably going to disagree the first time I say it, but then you need to keep on thinking about it and it'll come true. You know, it's, it's that idea, like one of the biggest temptations in my life is the belief that I can be happier. You know, if there's this thing out there, once I reach it, then I'll be happy. That creates all kinds of resentment. That's going to be a whole sermon in and of itself that I'm, that I'm thinking about right now. But it's important for us to really look at this stuff because this is where I, I think, folks, that we can kind of get mixed up. And I want you to listen carefully. I might even take a note on this on my phone because I think it's pretty profound, even though it's going to sound simple. I think a lot of my resentments start from the belief that I am actually a neutral observer on my life. That I'm actually neutral. I like to think that I am totally devoid of all biases. That when I look at something, I can truly say, yes, that is so good. And yes, that is so bad. Steelers, Cowboys. <laughs> you know, that I like that applause. You know, that I actually can judge that. You know, like, admit it. How many of us have been annoyed when someone says they like a restaurant we know is no good? Right? And you're like, you got to be kidding me. I'm the one with the good taste in food. They're horrible. We do that all the time. We believe that we are actually these wonderful, enlightened, neutral observers. And, and you know, yeah, okay, restaurant stuff, but, but we apply that to other people too. Like, I can really know? Like, I can really know? I can really know why you did things? I mean, one of the worst things I think we can do is, and I, is when somebody says, like, I know why you did that. No. We, we, we actually really have no idea. I'd like to think that I'm neutral. My, my ego would like to tell me I'm neutral, but I'm not. And ready for this. And this is kind of the oh, part. This is kind of the punch in the stomach part. It's a little tough. What happens is that I believe that I'm neutral. So I start making inappropriate judgments. And I want to say clearly that I'm not, please don't leave here thinking life is devoid of judgments. It obviously has judgments to it. Some of which we have to make, some of which are very hard. But that's not, I think, as frequent as we would have it be in our own head. So if I believe that I'm really neutral, and so I'm able to say, like, this is good and this is bad, you can imagine how that just builds huge resentments. Like, I can do this, especially in the relationships that I most care about. Like, I'm expecting my wife to say this. I'm expecting my kid to say that. I'm expecting them to realize the dishes haven't been done in three days. You know, like, I'm expecting all that. And when that doesn't happen, because I'm the neutral observer, I believe that I have a right to make a judgment on that. And not only to make a judgment, but to, but to actually add a little like twist into it. Not just they didn't do the dishes, but they didn't do the dishes because they are lazy, blah, 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 blah. You know, all that garbage, all that garbage. Folks, that's insane. You do get that. Please raise your hand to all other insane people in the audience. And I can see you today because the lights are on, so you better all get your hands up. You are all insane. And so am I. We're crazy. Because we really believe that matters. Like that your opinion about the best restaurant really matters in the big scheme of life. It doesn't. 
And here's the other crazy part. Like New Church, New Church holds it that these are actually called the pleasures of insanity. It's not only, this is really funny, it's not only that we're insane, we like it. We actually enjoy being insane. We enjoy just like running over that stuff again and again and again and again. One of the most powerful spiritual tools of all time, the 12 steps talks about this. I'll just read you one of the steps and you have to see what's underneath it. This is, this is I'll read you step five and six. Uh, step five, we admit to God, to ourselves, to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. All right, so we're clear on where we're wrong. And then step six, we are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I'll read that again. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Well, why would step, step six be in there? It's saying we have to pray for the willingness to have these things removed. Why? Because we don't want them removed. Right, those insane things that are pleasurable, we actually have a really hard time giving them up. I realize for some people, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't see that in myself. And what I would say is, do you ever gossip? Is gossip an insane pleasure? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we all, of course, do it. So we have to see this, folks. and We have to start to, 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 to pull this apart and to start to see a world that is somehow different and reorient ourselves in a way that gets away from that insanity and finds maybe a new kind of pleasure. Because if we don't, this is what our tombstone may well look like. <laughs> How many of us know somebody who battles everything? Don't you dare say your pastor. You know, we, we, we just, we, we, we get, we get into that bit where pretty much we're taking on the whole world. Like literally we're walking through our life and we're like annoyed at everybody. And we've got a story around for everybody. Now as the band comes out, as the band comes out, I want us to think folks, there's, you know, this is part of human nature. It's, it's not about a guilt trip like, woe is me. It's just part of human nature. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I love the line. This is from a, a line about contemplative prayer. You know, the, they were asking like, well, my, every time I try to sit and meditate, my wa mind wanders a thousand times. And this very wise teacher smiled and said, a thousand opportunities to return to God. Isn't that beautiful? A thousand opportunities to return to God. I feel like, yeah, we're going to have these things, we're going to have these moments, and really see them as opportunities to return. And when we come back, I want to talk about what we can return to, and how maybe there are some tools here that we've looked at in God's Word that can really start to give us a way to handle it, in a way that brings hope, and in a way that brings life. Well, I want to return back to Matthew 5 here and, and look at the passage in, in a little bit more detail and then start to pull it apart and maybe try to, try to see where a flip can occur. So the passage is beautiful. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now here, it was, it was really interesting to me. You know, and this list literally, <laughs> how many of us have our best thoughts in the shower, right? And, and like, it was like, oh my goodness, I never... This never occurred to me. Okay, causes sun to rise. Great, that's good. Sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. To us in the Northeast, who are not gardeners, is rain a good thing or a bad thing a lot of the time? 
It's a trick question. It's a bad thing. What's blank on their parade? <laughs> rain on their parade? Right? We use that same, oh, that'll just rain on their parade. Well, it was like, but this was written in a desert culture. So when it says, and sends rain, can we say rain together? And sends right, let's say it loud, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What was, what would be another word for rain there? Somebody said, blessing. Wow, good. It's, it's not just, it's not just, just the idea that, that, you know, it's sort of, I saw this as sun is good and rain is bad, like God's gonna, gonna, gonna love and punish, you know? That's not it. It's no, God's gonna bless. He's gonna bless everyone. The blessings actually are universal. The next line of it. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even, are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And the, the tax collectors at those times, certainly anytime you use a passage like this, you're thinking, I hope there aren't any IRS agents in the, you know, in the audience. Tax collectors at that time, these people worked for the Roman government and they were essentially really good at extortion for shaking people down. And here is Christ going like, yeah, even those, those people who do all this extortion, like, they have a pretty low bar too. Sure, they love the people who love them. That's not terribly hard to do. And then he drives the point home again with this line. And if you greet only your own people, in other words, if you greet only your own tribe, your own village, now that's fascinating because at this time, guess what really mattered? (laughs) Your tribe and your village, your family. And here's Christ going, well, if you only greet them, what are you doing more than others? Like, how is that anything particularly special? Do not even pagans do that. And pagans, that's not the motorcycle gang. Pagans are, are people who just had no belief in God. You know, they just, they really were just totally outcast. You know, like yeah, people who don't even care much about God, they, they don't have that either. These are very powerful lines. So I want you to hold those lines in your mind. And I want to add a point that kind of colors this. These lines are pointing us to, to a totally different kind of love. And this is where maybe the flip can occur. Probably for some of you, it already has. So you may hear what I'm about to say and go like, oh yeah, that's easy. Some of you may be like, well, I never thought of it that way. For me, it's I never thought of it that way. And I think this gets to the very core of what is new about new church. And what is actually what we share with with many wonderful other traditions that, that come from a very enlightened perspective. And that's this view of love. Transactional versus transformational. Let's, let's say transactional versus transformational together. Ready? Transactional versus transformational. That, that is immense. That is immense. Because here's God saying it so differently. Here he's saying, nope, you know what? There's not a transaction. And people at that time really believed, like if they did it right, just so, they, they earned enough credit that they would somehow get rain and sun. And here's God going, nope, actually, it's, it's going to, whether you do it right, whether you do it wrong, those blessings are going to somehow encompass it all. That's big, folks. Listen carefully. This is for me, maybe true for you. My resentments come from my deep commitment to transactional love. My resentments 
come from my deep commitment to transactional love. Because my wife didn't do this, my kids didn't do that, because this person didn't do that, because that person didn't do that. So I'm always parsing it out. Transformational love, though, that's what it's really all about. That's what this is pointing to. And words that sound so simple, so easy, but, but when you let it sink in, and we start to understand that the game here is transformational love, even when we feel like, as the series is titled, even when we feel like we're behind enemy lines, that that is what we're to practice. Boy, life starts to shift in amazing ways. Now let's look a little bit more in depth about transformational love. What is this transformational love stuff? Christianity, I think it really is all about that transformative love. Transformative love is there to change me. It's really there to change who I am, who I am in this world. It's not about something, I mean, yes, I can exercise it out there, but it's not something that I go around thinking, well, you need it, you need it, you need it, you need it. Now, it's about changing me. Need We need to allow it to do its work. So this is something we open to and we allow to have happen to us. I don't think we can go out searching for transformative love. I think it's about getting the bad stuff out of the way so the good stuff can come in. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. God's universal movement in the world and incarnation into the world centers itself on human equality. From, and say the last three words there, from, from sinners to saints. So that idea that human equality, like, like this universal movement of love, this incarnational view, it just settles on everybody equally. Next slide, please. Human equality means equal, that A word's really important. Equal equality means equal access to all of God's transformative love for all of us to, and say the words again, to, to sinners and saints. Now, now that line there, folks, like the access word, like we all have equal access. That doesn't mean that we're all awake to it in the same way. I know people who are much more in the flow of that than I am. That is for sure. And that's beautiful to witness. And, and the access, but, but it's not about seeing the access as constricted to just a few. No, actually, the access is all over. We can access it all the time. Like, like uh, uh, you know, I don't know if any of you will admit to it, but probably some of you in here are starting to play Pokemon Go. Right? You know, that thing, this is how you know when somebody's playing it when they're walking around like this. And, uh, uh, you know, one of our, one of our younger parishioners I, I saw on Facebook where, um, she's playing the game and she, she, she dropped her wallet up in Tyler State Park and she lives about 20 minutes away from there. She's playing the game. Somebody found her wallet, took it to her house, put it on the front door and left. Didn't leave a name or anything. See, that, that's the access, right? Like that's somebody who made a choice in a very different way. Pretty cool stuff. We are created to reflect that transformative love. To reflect it. As, please say it again, as, as sinners and saints. To reflect that love. I mean, that's why we believe like diamond engagement rings are such a beautiful part of the wedding ceremony because, because God's light comes in and we get to reflect it. 
And that's what a marriage ceremony does, is it reflects that beautiful light. See, that, that folks, can be incredibly powerful. And, and I want to pull it down into, into very real-world ways. So I'm going to move over here. As I move over here, Carl's going to come out, and he's going to play a little ditty over here on the organ I'm going to use to transition you into that. So Carl, if you could come on up, and then I'm going to move on over to here to talk for a minute. All right, so... So this is just to get us. So Carl, you ready? Yeah. All right. So uh, Carl's going to play a little marketing ditty for you. Go ahead, Carl. All right. Now that's churchy music. Does anybody know what company that's for? One more time. One more time. Can you folks hear it yet? State Farm. Can we all sing it? Like a good neighbor. State Farm. There we go. I couldn't sing at all. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So, so you know, that, that good neighbor part, right? I want to talk about that for a minute. I want to talk about the way kind of this can go, how good neighbor versus a di- little different way of looking at it can work. Now, I have here, you know, two pictures. You know, and I, I think kind of that's the box we have. We have the box that's our friends and family, and then we have the box that is marked other. Now, this box sometimes can hold pictures of people we resent, our resentment of the day. Maybe even sometimes we take our friends and we put them in this box. Hopefully none of you are there today. Uh, You know, this can be other people out there. Uh, This can be prejudices we wrestle with. All those other things that can be part of this picture. Now, what I want to do, what my ego wants to do, my ego, and this gets back to this passage, it wants to limit my love just to these people. You ready for this? Because they deserve it. They've been nice to me, I'm going to be nice to them. So we go through our list here. They've been good to me, I'm going to be good to them. They've loved me, I'm going to love them. They've been my friend, so I'm going to be their friend. That is, which one of, which kind of love is that? Transactional or transformational, folks? Transactional. Now, now there's nothing wrong with that. And you know, like I think too many times our binary brain goes, well, that means Chuck must be saying don't love the people who love you. <laughs> no, that would be really bad. Love the, love the heck out of these people. Keep on loving them. Continue to love them. But just try to love in a way that is, that is transformational. And I think the way we start to love transformational is where we say, okay, yep, I'm going to love these people in this picture, but I'm also going to love these people in this picture. I'm just going to love them as best that I can. This is a subtle piece of theology. I was mentioning it to Bob, and this is a little tricky, but, but, I, but I think there's something beautiful in here. We tend to believe like the, uh, the State Farm commercial, Say the two words. Like a, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. New Church adds a little slight twist to that. Okay, the good neighbor, that's, that's good, all right? That's good. You know, you want to have a good neighbor. What we want to search for is good in the neighbor. Good in the neighbor. 
that is where I think, I think that's the key that unlocks at least partially transformative love. Because that means I have to look at you very specifically. Very specifically. And I have to be able to look at you and see, yep, there's a lot of, there may be a lot of noise with this person. There may be a lot of hurt and pain and fear and anger. And my job is to look for the good in the neighbor. They may not be a good neighbor at that moment. But I can search for the good in the neighbor. And I can serve, this is really key, really key new church stuff here. I can serve that good in the neighbor. See, and in this weird way, and this is, this is like, I don't quite get this. Probably some of you will get it a lot better, have definitely a better language than I do. There's a way that if I serve that good in the neighbor and that that becomes my way of seeing the world, that this very specific love, this deep appreciation and gratitude at the good in this neighbor, all of a sudden expands me out to see love as universal. To see love as universal. To hold my arms much, much, much wider. So hopefully you can see like this passage we're looking at. I mean, that's what it's talking about. Because then I'm able to see that there can be blessings all across the board. Of course there has to be prudence. Of course there are times where we have to remove ourselves from situations, especially if we're under threat. I get it. And this needs to be where we at least start from. This needs to be sort of our paradigm, our way of looking out there into the world. This is real important, folks. Real important. Again, I would take a note on this. We don't have a slide for this, but I think it's real significant. The switch then can occur, that can occur becomes this. And this is as you're holding those people who you're caring, who you're harboring resentment about. Oftentimes, and again, the hardest resentments are the ones that are actually well-deserved, where, yeah, if you told me why you're resentful, I'd go like, yep, I'd be resentful too. Where transactional love, what transactional love will say, transactional will say, I will love this person if they change. That's a transaction. I'm going to withhold my love, and they'll get love, but only if they change. Very different perspective. Listen carefully. I'm going to love this person so that they have the space to change. That should give you chills. It's a huge flip. At least for me it is. Not, I'll love them if they change. I'll love them so that they have the space to change. That's where I, I do believe that the, that the world can start to flip and change and where, where this Sermon on the Mount becomes this outrageously good news. When I walk back over here, to, to where things change so incredibly dramatically in ways that just are enlightening to all of us. And it really starts to create something very different. And it's not that this, this kind of love is just sappy. It's a, it's a very wise love. Are, are you folks ready for a little quiz? Give me a big yes. Yes, here you go. You're going to get a little quiz here. 
So for those of you, again, who are, who are listening, just listening to the audio, it's a picture here of a, of a glass of booze and a set of car keys. Tell me what you know about this picture. How does transformative love work here? All right? How does transformative love work here? Now, I'm going to come out in the audience now, and I'm going to just have a few of you just volunteer and answer. Yeah, how does transformative love actually work in that situation? All right? So let's practice this and see what it actually really can look like. So please raise your hand if you're interested in giving an answer here. All right, who's, who's the brave soul? All right, we got somebody in the back. Okay, it looks to me that the keys, uh, you're willing to uh, take the keys from the person so that you drive, and if that person is drinking, that they, you know, take the passenger seat or whatever, but you drive them home so that they don't get into an accident or something like that. That's it. Anyone else want to add anything to that? That was a this really good answer. There's a person down here. You can give them money for an Uber. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Give them money for an Uber. That's right. And you can give them money and say, I love you. Here's money for an Uber. Folks, that's big. I think this is, this is the kind of thing where, again, we can, we can do it, and then we can see kind of that there's, there's choices here. Like, I can come from transactional love. Now, my transactional love, this is for me, may not be for you. My transactional love might be like, well, they're drinking and driving, you know, and they're somehow doing that to me. You know, so I'm going to withdraw my love. I'm just going to leave. They get to do what they want to do, which could have very tragic consequences. Transformative love's a little different, though. I'm going to love them, but I'm going to love them so that they have the space to change. I'm going to tell them, look, I, I love you, and how about money for an Uber? I love you, and, you know, I'm actually going to take the keys at this moment. This kind of love, folks, is actually a love that can make a huge difference out there in the world. And, and biblically, it's what we're supposed to do. Look at this beautiful line from Ephesians that talks about this. It talks directly to it. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. You know, again, like, like we, get, we get so angry and resentful, and that can create its own set of challenges, its own domino effect. And this is a beautiful line here. Do not let the sun go, go down while you are, please say the last two words, do not let the sun go down while you are, while you're still angry. Like find a way, folks, to make some of these shifts. See, I, I think this. I think what we're being asked to understand here is, is we can have these things in life that we need to do. We need to exercise transformative love. It's not nostalgic. It's actually a very fierce love. We may even be called to defend certain things or to defeat certain things. 
but we're going to do that in a way that transforms. I want to say that again. We may be called to defeat certain things, defend certain things. You know, there may be behaviors out there that people are doing that are just so destructive. And again, we, we have to like find ways to put a, some of the stops on that. And can we do it in a way that transforms? Can we do it in a way that transforms? No transaction, a transformation. I think that's, that's what Christ is asking us to do. That's what following Christ actually means. It actually means the exercise of transformative love out there into the world, even in incredibly hard and difficult circumstances. We end up, I think, as Miroslav Wolf put it with this, a splicent, this is so beautiful. How do people write like this? A spacious personality enriched by otherness. That's beautiful. That is like music. A spacious personality enriched by otherness. Christian to the core, open to the world. An enriched life. And then what starts to happen, here's the miracle. Here's the miracle. We start to see things in color. No longer just seeing things in black and white and the good guys and the bad guys. We're able to make judgments of transformative love. We're even able to take the keys, but we're able to do it from love. Not from transaction, but from love. Not from our ego, but from our soul. Not from our selfish love, but from God's love flowing through us. That's incredibly beautiful. And that seeing in color, folks, like it just, it just can start to shift so many things. I mean, just imagine that girl who comes home panicked, losing her wallet, and there she sees it on her doorstep. All of a sudden, the world's in color. I want to show you what that physically looks like. Like some of you, some of you probably know this. It's, it's pretty cool. They've invented sunglasses now that for people who are, who are colorblind, that they can see color. And I think it's a great mirror of the spiritual experience when we start to understand that it's not about transactional love. It's actually about transformational love. So take a look at this video of a father as he puts on glasses and sees color, including the color of his children's eyes, for the very first time. Take a look. Uh, you know, you, you think about that experience where we start to see the world, where we have that flip, folks. And, and like, I just want to close with this. You choose. You choose. And at times like this, you know, with all that's gone over the past month, it's so easy to think of love as a transactional thing. Let's reclaim it. Let's reclaim it. Let's reclaim it as the greatest, most wonderful, blessed, transformational force the world has ever known. Amen. I'm now going to offer a prayer. You have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have your own prayer or have a moment of silent reflection. We've got a great song to go out on. You're welcome to join the band in singing it if you'd like. Please join me. Lord, in the stillness, in the stillness, Lord, let us hear your voice. In the stillness. In the stillness, Lord, in the quiet of our souls, in that deep quiet, 
Let us hear and feel transformative love. What that actually is, how it works in this world, the way it can free us and serve others. In the stillness of our own thoughts, in the stillness of our own actions. Lord, let us take this transformative love and exercise it. Use it. Maybe, Lord, even in our best moments to do this, to unleash it. To let it pour out abundantly into the world. A transformative love. Transforming us. Transforming others. Coming back to your image and likeness. Coming, as always, home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.